True Crime Island, another true crime podcast bringing you true crime from around the world. and I've been able to roam the streets. I had my corona test actually the other day and I'm still awaiting the results. The streets in Sydney, look, they're not walking dead empty, but they're not far off it. So I hope you're all staying safe and let's get stuck into it. Well, tonight I have a case suggested by Dylan G, one of our fellow islanders, and I had a bit of a read of what he sent me, and really, this details how disgusting some humans can be to others, and in this case, it was four girl scum against one innocent girl. Now, my references tonight, we've got stuff from WDRB.com, TeenKillers.org, IndieStar.com, the Indianapolis News, the Age Newspaper, The Baltimore Sun, we've got Court Records, and I also bought this book, and I recommend it. It's uh, Cruel Sacrifice by the incredibly talented true crime author and TV personality, Aphrodite Jones. So, it's 1992, a 12-year-old girl is tortured and murdered by four other teenage girls. And this is the case of Shanda Shearer. Shanda Scherer was born in Pineville, Kentucky on June the 6th, 1979 to Stephen and Jacqueline Scherer. Shanda attended St. Paul's school when her parents divorced and she moved with her mum and her new husband to Louisville. Shanda loved school and not only did she get good grades, but she was also involved in volleyball and softball, plus she was in the cheerleading team. In 1991, Jacqueline divorced again and they moved to New Albany, Indiana, where Shanda attended Hazelwood Middle School or Junior High, whatever you want to call it, and it's here, her third day of attendance, that Shanda met 14-year-old Amanda Heverin. She was born September 1976. Well, met Probably isn't the best word for it, and Amanda was weeks away from being 15, okay? You see, Shanda had met a friend who wanted to break up with a boyfriend and return his friendship ring. This girl didn't want to face that boyfriend to break up with him, so Shanda offered to give it back on her behalf. When Shanda approached the boy and told him his girlfriend wanted to break up with him, and she offered the ring back... He looked at her puzzled, asking who the fuck she was. At this moment, Amanda Heverin walked up and shoved Shanda, asking what she was doing. You see, the boy was Amanda's cousin. Amanda shoved Shanda again into the lockers, and this caused an injury to her head. Teachers got involved, and they both got detention. Now, while in detention, they both reconciled and became friends. Now, at this stage, Amanda had been dating another girl, 15, almost 16-year-old Melinda Loveless. She was born October the 18th, 1975. Heverin and Loveless were having quite an open relationship at school. They didn't care what people thought of them being a lesbian couple. 
During the year, though, their relationship had gone bad and they were basically split up and Loveless had started dating an older girl. Melinda Loveless, according to court records, had a shit upbringing. Loveless's early years included, among other things, being molested by her father as an infant, witnessing her father's molestation of her sisters, her cousin and other young girls, witnessing her father's transvestism, witnessing her parents' multiple attempts to commit suicide, she was being rejected by her mother due to her lesbianism, and she witnessed her father attempting to kill her mother. Now, these sorts of experiences produced in Loveless a perverse view of human relationships which made her incapable of recognising or responding to the pain of others. I mean, how fucking awful. Amanda Heverin was quite attracted to the 12-year-old Shanda. Now, remember, Amanda's 15 going on 16, and they started to hang out. Eventually, they grew even closer when Amanda asked Shanda out to the school dance. Now, Loveless found out about this and confronted them on the dance floor. As you can imagine, Loveless wasn't there to congratulate the couple, and it was a bit of an awkward scene. Loveless later found out Amanda and Shanda were going to go to a festival together, and this made her get the rage. And by rage, I don't mean like the Cambo rage where I go off about some scumbag or some injustice. Loveless was telling people she wanted to kill Shanda. Loveless sent several letters to Amanda stating that she wanted to kill Shanda. Now, Amanda says that she passed these letters on to a youth prosecutor, but it looks like they weren't acted upon. Now, I'm not exactly sure what a youth prosecutor is or where they work, but it looks like they work in the juvenile justice system. I don't know why she just didn't give the letters to a normal cop, Maybe she just wanted someone in the juvie system to deal with it. Now, Shanda had always been a good student, but since she'd met Amanda, her attitude and grades had suffered. Shanda sent Amanda a letter which didn't have a stamp on it, and so it was returned to her house. Now, Shanda's mum, Jacqueline, opened the letter and read it. It detailed Shanda's sexual relationship with Amanda. Now, this shocked Jacqueline, not for the lesbian aspect, rather the fact that there was a 16-year-old girl having sexual relations with her 12-year-old daughter. Shanda's mum decided to pull her out of Hazelwood Middle School and enrol her in Our Lady of Perpetual Help School in New Albany. Her grades and attitude picked up and she got back into sport by joining the girls' basketball team. This basically ends Shanda and Amanda's relationship although Amanda keeps trying to keep in touch. Shanda pretty much ignores her as she now has plenty of new friends and they're of her own age and she's getting a little bit pissed off with Amanda's constant phone calls and letters. Shanda just wants to move on. So now we come to the 10th of January 1992. Shanda's at home at night watching TV at her father's place Her father comes into the TV room at about 11.30pm and tells her to turn the TV off at about 12 and go to bed. He then goes off to sleep. At around midnight, Shanda gets a knock at the door. She opens it and there's two girls, Hope Rippy and Tony Lawrence. Shanda doesn't know either of these girls, but they tell her 
they're there to pick her up to go to a party where Amanda is waiting for her. Shanda decides to go with them, and then she sees a third girl in the car, which she also didn't know, Laurie Tackett. Now, Laurie Tackett was born October the 5th, 1974, and was the oldest present in the car at age 17. She had a history of substance abuse, self-mutilation, suicidal tendencies, physical abuse by a mother, hospitalisation for psychiatric disorders, and being the victim of multiple sexual assaults. Tackett claimed that she was molested at least twice as a child at ages 5 and 12. Tackett was into the occult and looked like a goth in the black clothes she wore. She dropped out of school in 1991. Hope Rippey and Tony Lawrence, they were both born in Madison in 1976. Rippey came from a broken home and Lawrence was raped and abused when she was young. Now, Rippy and Lawrence had known each other since little school, and it was Rippy who introduces Lawrence to Tackett. When Tackett and Loveless pick up Rippy and Lawrence, they make it known that they're going to kill a little girl that night. I don't know if I would stay in the car at this point, but Rippy and Lawrence did. So that's a bit of background on these three girls that have come to pick up Shanda and take her to a party where apparently Amanda's waiting for her. Shanda sits in the front passenger seat of the car as Laurie Tackett drives off. Next thing she knows, her hair's being pulled backwards and there's a knife at her throat. Melinda Loveless had been hiding in the back seat and now had a knife to Shanda's throat. Shanda screamed to let her go, but Loveless told her to shut the fuck up. Tackett then drives to an abandoned house in Madison, Indiana, called the Witch's Castle. Now that's on Upper River Road, Jeffersonville, Utica, Indiana. It's an old abandoned building in the woods. It looks creepy and kids would go there at times to party, take drugs, drink booze. And at the time, there there was what was termed the Satanic Panic. So Satanic rituals were held there. While at the Witch's Castle, the group bound her arms and legs, teased and scared Shanda, but she was essentially unharmed when they left. Now, this place was reasonably popular and close to a main road, and they figured they had a high chance of being seen, so they put Shanda back in the car and drove off. The girls went to a garbage dump off a logging road where Loveless and Tackett stripped and battered Shanda. Loveless punched her in the stomach and kneed her in the mouth, Shanda's braces cutting deep into her mouth. Tackett tried to slash her throat, but the knife she had was too blunt. Tackett and Loveless choked and stabbed her, then locked her in the car's trunk, or boot for the Aussies, and drove off to drove off with Rippy and Lawrence to Tackett's house, telling Rippy and Lawrence that Shanda was dead. Tackett and Loveless cleaned themselves up and then left Lawrence and Rippy at the house while they drove around with Shanda in the trunk. From what it looks like when Shanda began screaming from the trunk, Tackett stopped the car, took a small knife, opened the trunk and cut Shanda again. Loveless and Tackett drove around most of the night, stopping so that Tackett could beat Shanda with a tyre iron or wheel brace for the Aussies. Shanda at this stage must have been petrified with fear. She's just 12 years old, being beaten by girls a lot older than her, driven around in the trunk of a car. And at 12, I wonder if she thought they would just 
beat the shit out of her and dump her on the side of the road, I mean, would she have thought that they were going to kill her? I mean, it's just terrifying to think about. Tackett and Loveless returned to Tackett's house to pick up Rippy and Lawrence. They decided to dispose of Shanda's body by burning it, apparently unaware of the fact that she was still alive. They drove to a gas station, purchased a two-litre bottle of Pepsi, and once empty, they filled it with petrol. Rippy suggested a good location in the country for burning the body, and they drove to Lemon Road, Shelby Township. At this point, Lawrence remained in the car while Loveless, Tackett and Rippy took Chandra to a clearing. After Rippy poured gasoline on Chandra and they set her on fire, Loveless returned to the body to pour the remaining gasoline on it. So after eight hours of torturing Chandra and ultimately leaving her to die alone in a field, the girls left the scene and went to eat breakfast as if nothing had happened. Later, Tackett and Loveless took Lawrence and Rippy home and picked up Amanda Heverin, telling her what they'd done. Shanda's body was discovered that morning by a hunter who immediately called the police. At first, he thought it was a mannequin lying on its back with its arms stretched out towards the sky. The fists looked like they were clenched hard. When police arrived, they could tell it was a human straight away from the smell of the burning flesh. When gathering evidence, they found an empty two-litre Pepsi bottle and it smelt like it had contained petrol. An autopsy established that Shanda had multiple injuries, lacerations to the head, neck and legs, ligature marks on the wrists where she'd been tied and there was soot in her upper airway. There were numerous lacerations in her anus where she'd been sodomised, probably with the tyre iron. There was extensive thermal damage from being doused in fuel and set on fire. It was concluded that she died from smoke inhalation, indicating she was alive when she was set on fire. A rape kit turned up negative for semen, indicating there were probably no males involved. While this was going on, Shanda's father Stephen was alerted by his partner Sharon that Shanda was not in a room. At first they didn't think too much about it, but they made some phone calls to friends and they couldn't locate her. She'd never run away from there before and after several hours of looking and phoning her friends, they couldn't locate her. Shanda's biological mum, Jacqueline, was called by Stephen and she came over and saw that Shanda had not taken a purse. This alarmed Jacqueline as she knew that Shanda never went anywhere without this purse. They then contacted police and put in a missing persons report. They keep calling whoever they can think of and then they call Amanda Heverin. Amanda tells them that she has no idea where Shanda is. However, she had been told earlier in the day that Shanda was dead. That night, about 50 miles or 80 kilometres away, Tony Lawrence fronts up to the police station and tells police she was with a group of girls the night before that planned to kill another girl at the witch's castle and that they did. She was with them but didn't know the girl's full name, only that her first name was Shanda. In fact, she said she'd never seen the girl before that night. The investigators who were interviewing Tony called the Clark County Sheriff's Department to see if there were any missing person reports that day. They were informed that a 12-year-old girl had been reported missing that morning and her name was Shanda Sharer. 
Once they compared all the details of the missing person and the body from the field, they knew it was Shanda. The police were shocked at how this group of girls could do such a thing to another 12-year-old girl. By midnight, an Indiana state cop had to go to Shanda's father's house to break the news to him. Stephen Scherer, his partner Sharon and Jacqueline were all shocked. When they found out how she was murdered, it devastated them even more, if that could be possible. After Tony Lawrence told investigators the whole story of what happened to Shanda, they quickly arrested all involved. The two main participants, Loveless and Tackett, tried to blame each other for the murder, but that didn't help them at all. Loveless was charged with nine felonies, including murder, and the state requested the death penalty. See, the state decided to try each of the four girls as adults and not juveniles. Loveless was 16 when she committed her crimes, and she agreed to plead guilty to them. The agreement provided Loveless would plead guilty to three counts. The state would dismiss the death penalty request and the remaining felonies and would recommend her sentences be served concurrently. She was sentenced to 60 years in prison on October the 6th, 1992. However, Loveless was released in September 2019 after serving just on 26 years in prison for the murder and criminal confinement. She will now serve parole in Jefferson County, Kentucky, according to the Kentucky Department of Corrections. Mary Lorene, or Laurie Tackett, she pled guilty to murder, criminal confinement and arson. The plea agreement she got resulted in a dismissal of a death penalty count and permitted a contested sentencing hearing where the state retained the right to pursue the maximum sentences available but agreed to recommend that all sentences run concurrently. The sentencing judge concluded that the arson and murder convictions merged and sentenced Tackett to the maximum sentences available for murder, and that's 60 years, and criminal confinement, 20 years, and ordered that the sentences be served concurrently in accordance with the prosecutor's recommendations. Now, witnesses also testified that Tackett, who was obsessed with the occult and the notion of killing someone, had proposed asking Shearer's ghost during a seance how it felt to die by fire. I mean, what the fucking fuck? In May 2011, Tackett appeared on the episode of Dr. Phil. Shearer's mother and sister were also guests on the show. And during the episode, Tackett said that if she could go back, she wouldn't have been there that night and she would have done everything in her power to stop it. What a load of bullshit. She said, I didn't know Shanda at all. I didn't go into that evening knowing anything was going to happen. She didn't want anything to happen. And she said, peer pressure, that's all it was. It spiralled out of control way too fast. It's something that should have never happened. Problem is, she was the instigator. She went into it even before she knew that Shanda existed, that she wanted to kill someone. Even though Tackett was sentenced to 60 years, she was released January the 11th, 2018 from prison. And get this, they released her on the 26th anniversary of Shanda's body being found. (sighs) Hope Rippey was sentenced to 40 years for felony murder and 20 years for criminal confinement. On April the 28th, 2006, Rippy was released from Indiana Women's Prison on parole after serving 14 years of her original sentence. 
She remained on supervised parole for five years until April 2011. Rippy's sentence was reduced because Indiana allows inmates to earn one day credit for each day served for good behaviour. Her sentence was further reduced when she obtained an associate degree and a bachelor's degree while in prison. Shanda's mother, Jacqueline Vaught, at this stage, she changed her name, she got married again, cannot look at Rippy's release the same way. She said, I'm angry, I'm very angry, it never should have happened. She's angry about what happened to Shanda and also angry that Rippy is getting out early. She said, just serve your sentence. Be respectful Be respectful of my child and serve your sentence. She's never been able to do this. She's tried to get out from day one. Tony Lawrence was convicted on lesser charges. Now, Lawrence served only nine years of her sentence. It was Lawrence who reported the crime to authorities and the first to work out a plea bargain. She was released in 2000 after serving nine years. Shanda's father died of cancer in 2005 at the age of 53. He was buried next to his daughter. In an interview with Shanda's mother Jacqueline on the TV series Deadly Women, she stated that Shanda's father was so destroyed by his daughter's murder that he did everything he could to kill himself besides put a gun to his head and that he drank himself to death. The man definitely died from a broken heart. Now, when Dylan brought this case to my attention, I had heard of it before, but I consume so much true crime that sometimes I get distraction, distracted and miss some of the detail, you know, and just sort of move on. When Dylan outlined some of the facts of this case and I saw that Shanda was only 12 years old, I couldn't believe what had happened. Now, when you're 12, even people a year ahead of you seem so much older, let alone three, four and five years older. I remember when I started high school, the seniors seemed like fully grown adults. For this pack of arsehole scum to do what they did to that 12-year-old girl is beyond comprehension. That none of them tried to stop it before it went too far is mind-boggling. Loveless and Tackett for sure were the main perpetrators. Loveless was jealous of Shanda, even though she'd stopped seeing her ex Amanda, and Tackett just had a bloodlust to kill someone. The other two... Why they didn't just run and call police is disgusting in itself. The fact that they're all walking around free today, well, I did say last week how the US justice system knows how to lock people away for a very long time, and they did give these girls long senses. But the system has let them all out early. I mean, that's really fucked up for the parents, friends, and family of Shanda. As Jacqueline said, it put Stephen Scherer into an early grave after he just couldn't get over it. Amanda still today, she says she gave these letters that contained death threats towards Shanda to authorities. And if this is true, why didn't they act on it at all? I said before, when people do shit like this, they lose all right to be in society at, at any time, especially Loveless and Tackett. They should never have been released. Regardless of their shitty upbringing, what they did was totally unacceptable. They knew what they were doing, they planned the murder, and they executed that plan. Shanda's last eight hours on earth would have been terrifying, and then to die by being soaked in fuel and lit on fire? For fuck's sake, words can't describe it. 
Even in this day of social distancing, you hope there's room on the karma bus for these bitches. Boom, fuckalunga. Now, recommended reading if you want a lot more detail in this case, because this is only about 20-odd minutes of it. It's the book, I mentioned it before, Cruel Sacrifice by Aphrodite Jones. Now, I could only skip through it because I didn't have the time to read the whole book. I got it on Kindle, so it's really easy to buy and download. It's available everywhere, so I really recommend reading it. And I think I'll actually go through and read the whole thing because this is absolutely one of the most shocking cases you'll ever get. So, Islanders, this is the end of this week's show. To my Patreon people, thanks to all my past, present and new Patreons, your financial support does keep the lights on and it is extremely appreciated. As you know, we are commercial free here. That's at patreon.com forward slash true crime island. If you don't like the monthly thing, you can also donate one off to PayPal. The PayPal link is donate.truecrimeisland.com. True Crime Island, remember, is commercial free. I have merch at Threadless and Red, Red Bubble now. Go to Red Bubble and search for True Crime Island because I haven't got a link anywhere yet. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing, also by sharing it with your friends and family. Use the hashtag BoomFuckalunga in your social media. All the links, including social media, are also on the website truecrimeisland.com. And don't forget the YouTube channel as well. That's starting to come together quite oh, quite all right, actually. It's lot, lots of fun to do. It is a little bit different to the audio one, which I record separately. So get on down to YouTube, have a look. Please, also, if you want to subscribe, subscribe and hit that little belly thing. Okay, that's about it. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Boom,